You're listening to Curious Conversations About Sex, and my name is Rog. This podcast is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of sexuality and self-development workshops in Australia. Please bear in mind that not all conversations will be suitable for younger people. Also bear in mind that while we can discuss general concepts, what we say can't be taken as personal advice or guidance. You're the only person that is an expert on being you. If you've got questions you'd like us to answer, or you want to find out more about us, look us up at curiouscreatures.biz. B-I-Z. Today, I'm having a conversation with Aerie from Blue Velvet Arts, who you can find at bluevelvetarts.com. This is the third of a three-part series where we discuss in really good detail the questions on the Curious Creatures consent cards. The consent cards are handy little things about the size of a credit card. You've got pretty much all the questions you need to ask to ensure that whatever sex you're planning on having goes well. They have a level of detail that's slightly geared towards kinky activities, although they make pretty much anything better, even platonic activities like going for a drive in the country. You can view the questions for free on the Curious Creatures website or buy one for $9. We will also list them in the show notes to this episode. Today, we're working through questions 12 to until the uh, last question, question 16, and then just discussing some of our broader reflections on how consent and communication all fits together in this wonderful world of kinky sex. Enjoy! And question 12, who might be gaining pleasure from this? Who is it for? So credit where credit is due. Uh, I feel like uh, Betty Martin and the Wheel of Consent uh, is a great resource for people that want to look into this more. And basically what it's about is that it's not always the case that pleasure, particularly if we're talking about arousal and sexual pleasure, it's not always the case uh, that someone wants that at all or that it's mutual or, or anything else. So I, I sometimes look, like to think of this in terms of um, using oral sex as an example because there's the kind of oral sex you can take from someone else where they allow you the use of their body. Uh, there's a certain joy that can be had from the tastes, the smells, the sensations of uh, you're sort of, the, the phrase would be giving someone head, um, but really it's about you. You're just in the, in the joy of uh, playing with their genitals with your mouth. So that's one version where the pleasure is about you. The other version is maybe more like where they ask you if you'll give them head and it's all about them and their pleasure and you're watching them very carefully the entire time and maybe uh, if uh, orgasms are their thing, maybe you're uh, doing what you can towards moving them towards that goal. Uh, yeah, so they're very different things, and neither of those um, approaches is right or wrong. Like sometimes uh, we like to be pleasured, and sometimes we like to be used. Uh, they're not mutually incompatible, but they can be a little different sometimes. So the reason I love that question is it just gets really clear uh, on who that's actually meant to be for. And I feel that if you've otherwise done a good job of negotiating an activity, uh, and for some reason it goes wrong, it's almost always likely to be that one question. No, do you have any thoughts? Um, well, one just to clarify that in determining who the pleasure, who's gaining pleasure, doesn't mean that one person is doing something that they don't want to do. This isn't a matter of yeah. consent. This is still an activity that everyone has agreed to and consented to. 
It's more on the perspective of who's enjoying it. And so both people could be enjoying it. It could be for the pleasure of both. Um, I know in certain BDSM scenarios, sometimes as a dom, um, there's something that my submissive wants me to do to them that they that is going to be very challenging for them. And part of what helps get them through, they're not necessarily enjoying it, but seeing how much I'm enjoying it makes it a worthwhile experience for them. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of a hard thing to explain. Yeah, it's a bit of a paradox. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it really is that. If it's important in the dynamic for one person to be enjoying it and the other not to, it's good to have that clarity. Yeah, so it's, a, it's like a little bit like saying, well, I, I'm kind of neither here nor there on that particular activity, mm-hmm. but if it pleases you... That mm-hmm. pleases me because yes. I want to please you. Yes, yeah. and your pleasure makes it pleasurable for me, independent <laughs> yes. of the actual thing itself. Yes, love it. Uh, question 13, uh, is this activity likely to be triggering? So I might just def- define what triggering is. I think of triggering or borrowing from the world of psychology here. It's when something happens and it triggers a response in you that relates to some other event yeah, some other time in your history, uh, whether that's positive or negative, or you don't even use that language. Um, but yeah, something happens that's been triggered. So yeah, why is it good to ask that question? Well, it's definitely important to be prepared. If I know that an activity is likely to be triggering for the person that I'm playing with, first of all, that allows me to consent to whether or not I want to engage in that activity. Um, if I'm going to do something to someone, um, you know, for example, tie them up, but uh, they, they have this really bad experience where earlier in life they were tied up and they know that this, this might trigger that, I get to decide, okay, am I prepared to deal with that? Um, am I in the right mental state and place to handle this situation if it happens? Um, and then, then it also just alerts me to the possibility of that happening. You know, again, just that preparedness just gives me so much better, like, skill and potential for really handling it when it happens rather than it coming from the left field being completely blindsided by the thing and you know scrambling to to handle it yeah and also if you know it's coming yeah you know how to respond a little bit so Mm -hmm. if, if you know that the other person is likely to be triggered by an activity and hey that might be the actual reason why they want to do this activity uh so it might not be a question of stop Uh, It might be a question of, yeah, like, I'll I'll use my safe words if there's a problem. But, hey, if I turn into a crying, blubbering mess, for God's sake, don't stop. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, yeah, it's very much about a two-way street of consent. And, um, yeah, do I consent to being a part of this activity where I might have to turn into your therapist? Or, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. Uh, Question 14. Are we sober? Um, So there's kind of two levels to this. Mm. Um, uh, One of them, I guess, is a fundamental question about whether you are in a position to consent at all. Mm. Um, Or when you get very not sober, whether it's drugs or alcohol or... Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Um... You start to get very agreeable, but you don't necessarily know what you're agreeing to or whether you're in a position to do so. So, so, so part of it is just a really fundamental consent and safety related thing. Yeah, if you want to get to a very legal standpoint on this, I think the law pretty much says that if you're inebriated, if you're drunk or under the influence of drugs, that you can't legally give your consent to an activity. Mm. Um, so good to have that awareness. Yes. 
great. And then the other layer of it is, uh, like, uh, say we're having this conversation and I uh, say that I've had a couple of beers. Yes, so if we're going to get into any kind of, engage in anything, it's good for me to know what state of sobriety you're in. Mm. Um, if, if we're going to play, if this is like negotiating a kink or BDSM scene, then knowing your state of sobriety will allow me to gauge what I think your um, faculty of assessing your physical sensations is. Yes. People who are inebriated generally tend to feel pain less. Mm. Um, they, they might be more inclined to find things pleasurable that they wouldn't in a sober state um, and less inclined to find things painful than mm. they would in their sober state. So I really have to know that. I have to first decide if I want to engage with you in whatever state of non-sobriety you're in. Do I think that that's safe? Do I think that we can make decisions that are, are beneficial for our own well-being? And then if I decide to go ahead with it, just knowing what state you're in will allow me to modulate the intensity of the experiences yeah. that we have together. Yeah. Um, so really good to have awareness around that. And I'm not saying I only play with sober people. Um, that would be fairly hypocritical. But as for myself, if I'm doming, I pretty much make sure that I'm in a sober state. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. I find that, you know, in the past, any of the miscalculations that I might have made around uh, the intensity of the experience that I'm sharing with someone, if there was alcohol involved, my judgment was a little off. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, the, the, the times I can think of where I've gone a little bit too far or I've misread a signal, I'm talking, not talking about um, major gross violations, just uh, things where I was a little bit surprised that I'd misread something a little bit. Uh, it's mm -hmm. always been alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. phenomenal. And not to preach and tell people what they need to do, but now in my play these days, I never have alcohol involved. It allows me to really be present in the experience fully. I never do anything that I regret. I feel really confident in my ability to um, give experiences and read the reaction of the person I'm playing with, as well as like modulate my own intensity and, mm. and just really appreciate the experience fully mm. present. I love that you stand for it. I, I represent diversity <laughs> in that I will uh, play uh, with alcohol. However, I have to say there has been loads of times where I've gotten to this question and realised that my answer is no, that mm -hmm. the scene that we're planning is just not appropriate for my mm -hmm. state of focus and attention and skill and safety. Uh, and oh my God, it just feels so good when someone is taking play. I've been on the other side of this as well. I'm thinking about that. When someone takes the activity and, and my safety so carefully that when, when they say to me, actually, you know what, I don't know that I can do this at the moment. Uh, let's bookmark it for another time and maybe do something simpler or just go and have another beer. Um, <laughs> it's just so nice when people do that. Question 15, what safer sex methods will we use? And in particular, talking about sexually transmissible infections. Uh, I feel like this is pretty obvious and straightforward. It's just so great to have that question loaded up the front. You don't want to get sort of into the middle of play and then need to interrupt the play with that particular question. Yes, it is nice if you discuss it beforehand. I would say, though, if you're in the middle of play and something became sexual and you hadn't discussed it, that by all means you would interrupt your play to discuss it. Agreed. But yes, definitely one of those things where if, if you imagine that there's any possibility for any kind of sexual contact or really any kind of physical contact that might involve fluid exchange... I mean, that's, you know, kissing, that's licking any part of the body or any kind of contact where there's a possible transmission of any pathogen or disease. Really good to have your safer sex protocol 
um, figured out before you go into that. Yes, agree completely. Question 16. Will we need to do specific things to care for each other afterwards? Uh, so maybe, uh, so let's begin with what's aftercare. Yay, yes. So aftercare, after the experience that you're sharing together, whether it's a scene or, or an activity comes to an end, it might be that just simply ending it and walking away is very jarring, um, mm. really leaves people feeling just uh, you know, like it ended too abruptly. Mm-hmm. So the idea of aftercare is that after you've you've had your activity, you have some period of time where you, it might be a debrief. It just might be spending time together. It might yeah. be like a, a, a prescribed activity that you know of. Like you'd say in your aftercare, I need to be hugged and fed chocolate and just have a conversation around it. You might know what it is or you might not. But aftercare is generally the idea of what activities follow up your play so that people have a chance to decompress from it. You don't just abruptly end and walk away, leaving yeah. anyone feeling abandoned. And if you know ahead of time uh, what the other person is likely to want in the way of aftercare, you can mm-hmm. kind of, if you're the if you're controlling, topping a situation, you can kind of flow the activity towards that aftercare quite seamlessly, and it's just a nice holistic way of doing it. Uh, I guess it's also uh, you can you can make sure that you're capable of doing that. Like if the person says they're going to need you to sit there for two hours and debrief them and you've only got 20 minutes, then good to know. Mm-hmm. And lastly, question 17, are you happy to proceed and uh, respectfully inquire about any incongruence? So if I could just speak to incongruence for a second, and again, borrowing from the world of psychology here, an incongruence or a mixed signal is when you've got some signals in this case that are saying yes and maybe there's some other signals that are saying no. So you've got mixed signals happening. And the reason that question is there is that after you've been through that level of questioning about or that level of consenting about the activity, normally there's not going to be much confusion left and it's going to be pretty damn obvious uh, by that stage whether you're both happy to proceed with the activity. But if you ask someone that question, uh, and even if that's, you, you haven't been through a whole complicated consent card process, you've just basically said to someone you've met at the pub, hey, do you want to shack up? Um, then you follow that up with the question just to double check, are you happy to proceed? Watch their body language. Like even if, uh, because there's so much pressure to say yes, uh, I guess is the example I'm going to run with in the moment. There's so much pressure to say yes, and someone might want to do something or think that they're up for something. But if they're not completely on board, you'll be able to spot it in the rest of their body language. So they might shy away from you with their body. They might go stiff and rigid. Their voice might rise and go tense. They might disengage their eye contact from you. Uh, Or you might notice any other signals uh, like that that suggest that it's not as simple as yes. There are some no signals present as well. Right. So if you ask the question, are you happy to proceed, and the mouth says yes, but the body cringes away from you. <laughs> it's pretty clear incongruence. Not that it will yeah. always be that clear. And so when I ask the question, are you happy to proceed? I'm generally looking for kind of enthusiastic consent, I would say. If someone's saying yes, I really want to see that the rest of their, their signals, the rest of their body language really supports that yes. Yes. Um, and I feel like it's pretty obvious uh, what's going to happen if you ignore those 
signals of incongruence or those no signals, if you attempt, if either of you attempt to barge past that, the chances of something going wrong with that activity uh, are, are really high. You're moving into really risky territory. So it's not the end of the world if you're all geared up for a particular activity and one of you has got some mixed signals or some no signals or some incongruence. Uh, it's just a further opportunity to respectfully check them out. Um, and it very much depends on circumstances, uh, how, how you would approach this. Um, you might, uh, if you're spotting mixed signals in someone, you, you might just say, you know, um, how are we going just before we go into this is is there anything else that we could be doing differently or better to make this safer or more appropriate uh and just sort of dangle a really open question like that if someone doesn't pick that up you might escalate to a stronger level of uh, intervention there so you might say I, I hear that you are saying yes, and on so many levels I am also a yes, and yet I sort of feel like I'm noticing some hesitation or some caution or something a little more complicated going on. Can we talk about that a little bit first? If that doesn't work and a person is still overruling their own no signals or you're still in confusion and you don't have complete confidence, it's completely fine as a responsible person to say, you know what, I've really enjoyed talking about this and I'm really hoping that we get to do this activity at some stage, but I actually realise that I am not really now uh, totally congruent about doing it in this way. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest, I'm going to require that we just uh, bookmark this one for the time being. Again, when someone handles you that way, that's going to work out well. That's going to do so much to build trust and faith in that relationship and uh, I don't know particularly if we're talking about BDSM sometimes it can look like it's all about bells and whistles and shiny latex and amazing technical skills and having half a dungeon worth of amazing toys and it's really not it all just comes down to trust and your communication skills and it's from those basic things that uh, wild adventurous things happen so that that last question is just so crucially important so that covers our consent card questions. Um, we went through them in a lot of detail and it took quite a lot of time because we're really passionate about this topic and we think they're things that need to be explored. In reality, when you're doing play with someone, it's gonna, how long that takes to go through that process is going to vary according to how complex or dangerous or new the scene is and your relationship with the person. So it could take 30 seconds to just fly through that consent card and just do a quick little double check. Uh, or it could take, in the case of much more elaborate scenes with people you haven't played with, uh, I have sometimes taken weeks to do this via email with people. Uh, in most cases, for most activities, you're talking about five, 10, maybe 15 minutes or something like that. And it is time so well spent because it's foreplay. This is not the communication that gets in the way of sex. This is the communication that makes sex go well. And it sometimes seems from the outside like it's a really ridiculous, elaborate amount of stuff to go through. But I gotta say, I have never known a person who has been introduced to this culture, this way of doing things, this version of consent, who has then said, you know what? I don't like it. I'm going to go back to the other version where, and I'm, I'm going to use my ironic font, uh, where you just like shut your eyes and cross your fingers and hope for the best. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. End ironic font. Um, yeah, I've never met that person. Um, and there's a, there's a point where you're going through these questions 
and you realize that the person you're playing with is getting increasingly present to you they care deeply about what's going on for yourself and them and you realize you've got your safe words in place and everything else and suddenly you find yourself as aroused as hell or if it's not a sexy kind of a scene you just find yourself excited and enthused um, and really confident and keen to proceed and I guess that's a little bit of a lived experience uh, until you've had that experience it's kind of hard to describe but suffice to say it's foreplay people You've been listening to Curious Conversations About Sex by Curious Creatures. We run workshops often focused around how to put into practice the things we've been talking about today and various other things. Find us at curiouscreatures.biz And you can find Aerie, who I've been chatting with today, at bluevelvetarts.com Thanks for listening, friends.